Thank you for listening to this podcast from Monclova Road Baptist Church. For more information about this message and the ministries of Monclova Road Baptist Church, please visit monclovabaptist.org. I want to take a look at Luke chapter number 1. Let's begin reading in verse number 26. Would you follow along with me, please? The Bible tells us in Luke 1, 26, And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And so we find in this passage of Scripture that God is going to send Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, He's got a message for a young girl, Mary. The Bible tells us something very, very specific about this young girl that we cannot neglect and we cannot forget. It's very important. We're going to see that today. The Bible says that she's a virgin. She's espoused or engaged, uh, committed to Joseph, but her and Joseph are not married, and there's been no physical act that they've had together because she is a virgin, the Bible says. It's very important for us to see this. And the angel came unto her, in verse number 28, and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. When, we, when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And so she had no idea. What this tells me is this. Mary didn't have a habit of talking to angels. This is the first time she's talked to one. She has no idea what in the world is going on. She's trying to figure this out. She's, she's just thinking about being married. She's thinking what any young woman would think at this time in her life. She had no idea, no even thought that an angel was going to come and visit her. And so Mary, like you and I, if this ever happened to us, we'd be trying to figure this out. What is going on? Who is this? What is this about? In verse number 30, and the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name, let's say this all together, Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And so Mary stops and says, How is this possible? How can I, how can all these things be true? I mean, everything you're saying hinges on the fact that I'm going to have a child. How can I have a child? I've never known a man. So she's questioning this. In verse number 35, the angel answered and said unto her, Let the, the, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. He's answering her question, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And so the angel says, Mary, this is how it's going to happen. It's going to be from God. This is going to happen. Not anything natural. It's supernatural. Behold thy cousin, in verse 36, behold thy cousin Elizabeth, she shall, hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. And I want you to see this verse, 37. This is our text verse today. Important verse. Everything hinges on this verse. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. What the angel Gabriel just got finished telling Mary 
was impossible. If you notice, there's two things here she told Mary. She said, number one, Mary, you're going to have a child, and this child is going to be the Son of God, and this child is going to be Jesus. He's going to be the one that was promised. You have never known a man. You as a virgin, Mary, you are going to have a child. That's impossible. But God's the God of the impossible. And then he said to her something else that was impossible. He says, your cousin Elizabeth, the one that was barren, the one that could not have children. She's barren and couldn't have children in her young age. Now she's older and she is of old age and she can't have children. And guess what, Mary? She's six months with child. And then he, Gabriel kind of ends this with this, God's the God of the impossible. God can do the impossible. And I want you to see Mary's response to this. Mary is fearful, and Mary doesn't understand what this angel is there for. Mary isn't understanding how this is possible. And then the angel tells Mary, this is possible because God is in it. And I want you to see Mary's response. And Mary said this, behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Mary, when she heard It's of God. She found rest in her spirit, peace. She accepted the impossible because she believed in the God of the impossible. Let's pray and we'll begin our message. Father, would you help us today? Lord, this verse, you're the God of the impossible. It's a verse every single one of your children need to believe. Lord, that verse right there is what hinges, everything hinges on here in this chapter. It's unbelievable. It's impossible until you get involved. And so, Lord, I pray as we study this passage of Scripture that you would speak to us, that you would challenge us. I pray that you'd use this message to encourage your people Lord, I pray if there's one here today that does not know you as their Savior, Lord, I pray that you would use the preaching of this word, the power of your Holy Spirit, to save souls. Lord, we rely upon you, and we ask you for favor today. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 37, with God, nothing shall be impossible. And every, every true believer would say amen to that verse. You'd believe that verse. A true believer would say amen. We believe that with God... Everything's possible. He is the God of the impossible. And I want you to see the the context of this verse. It's in the context of the virgin birth that we find this verse. This verse number 37, for with God nothing shall be impossible. We find it in the context of the virgin birth. And so here we find Mary getting news. This has never happened before. This has never happened before and it will never happen again. This message that Mary is receiving is only the one and only time that this message has ever been told or ever will be told to a young virgin girl is this, that you are going to conceive, and this is going to be Jesus Christ. And I want you to see the context, this context of this is that this impossible thing can be made possible when God gets involved. 
You know, God is the God of the impossible, isn't he? Amen? He is the God of the impossible. Mary asked, as, as, as all of us would ask in verse number 34, she said, Mary said, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Mary asked the common sense question. Has anybody ever told you something and you didn't believe what they said? And you just said, wait, well, let me get this straight. What are you saying? That's impossible. I can't believe that that could happen. And we've all heard stories or heard of stories where we heard something happen and we just questioned it. And that's where Mary is at. Mary is hearing the, the, the uh, 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 statement said here and she says this, I can't believe this is possible. I can't believe this is happening to me. God knows that I've never been with a man. And if God has sent you, he knows, you know that I've not been with a man. So how is it possible what you're saying? An angel, an angel Gabriel, answers, it's possible. Because this is going to be something that the Holy Spirit of God is going to conceive. This is something that is God's plan. This is something that God is in. And with God, nothing shall be impossible. This requires great faith. For Mary to believe this, for Mary to come to this place in verse number 38 required great faith. And for us to believe that God is the God of impossible, it requires great faith. Matter of fact, God talks about faith in the New Testament. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. God desires for his children to believe that he can do the impossible. I like when your children are younger. Don't they believe, dads and moms, that, that you can do impossible things? It's not until they get older to where they know you really can't do those things. But boy, when they're little, they, can, they think you can do anything. They think that you can buy anything. They think that you can do anything. They think, you know, they just go to that, that uh, uh, one time my youngest was, was saying, Dad, I'd like this. And I said to her, I don't have any money, uh, honey. And it was Chloe when she was a little bit younger. And she said, Dad, you don't need money. I said, no, you do have to have money to buy things. No, you don't, Dad. You have that card in your wallet. You can get anything with that. I said, you're shopping with your mom way too much. <laughs> They thought anything, you want to buy anything, anything is possible. But listen to me, I'm talking about a faith that says, you know, humanly speaking, this can't happen, but I believe in the creator of this universe. I believe in God, and I know this, that God can do anything. And Mary here come to the, came to the conclusion in verse number 38 that God is the God of the impossible. It requires great faith. The angel, the angel explains that the Holy Ghost is going to accomplish this. You know, they, we can't accomplish things in our power. We can't accomplish great things in our strength and in our might. We are limited as human beings, but when the Holy Spirit of God gets involved in something, the impossible can happen. Right in the context of this great mystery, we find this verse. As Gabriel, the angel, is telling Mary of this miracle that's about ready to take place, in this mystery, we find that God can do anything. You know, this is really there to show us how great God is. I believe as we study this passage of Scripture, what we find is this. God is showing us that he is a great God. That he is a big God. 
How big is our God? This Christmas season, it's not about fly, uh, uh, trees and about gifts and, and about uh, 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 the, the things I spoke of, Christmas caroling. All, all those things are wonderful things. But really for a Christian, this is the time of year for us to show how big, how great our God is. He's a God of the impossible. Sometimes we lack faith in our mind, and sometimes if we're not careful in our mind, we can limit what God can do. But the reality is this, there's nothing, there's nothing too great for our God. There's nothing that our God cannot do. There's nothing that comes in our lives that God can't overcome. There's no sickness, there's no pain, there's no tragedy, there's no situation that encounters us that we know that God cannot handle. Because God is the God of the impossible. Now as we come to this passage of Scripture, we find from verse number 26 down to verse 38 where we read, we found of the story of Mary and Gabriel's conversation with Mary. For sake of time, we, don't, we can't read the entire chapter, but if you would go to the beginning of the book of Luke, and if you take some time to read through the first 24, 25 verses of Luke chapter 1, you would find where the story of, of Zacharias and Elizabeth. Elizabeth is Mary's cousin. The Bible tells us this. We find in this story, Gabriel tells Mary that her cousin Elizabeth is also a child, and she has been with child for six months. Now, uh, Elizabeth is older. Elizabeth cannot have children because of her age, and Elizabeth cannot have children in her younger age because she was barren. She was unable to have children. And so we find in that first several verses of the chapter, we find this story of these two. We find where the angel appears in verse number 11 and says this, And there appeared unto him an angel, the Lord, uh, standing on the right side of the altar of incense, and begins to tell uh, Zacharias that he's going to have a child, and that they're going to name this child John, and that John is going to be the forerunner of Christ, and that John was going to be preaching and, and making a way so that Christ can come behind him, and, and the Savior is going to come, and John is going to be the forerunner of the Savior, and we find this passage of Scripture that there is so much happening, the impossible is happening. The impossible is happening. Here in this passage of Scripture, we find that a lady uh, that's too old to have children is going to have a child. We find a woman that has, is barren, she is going to have a child. We find this in verse number 17, and he shall go before him in the spirit and the power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Uh, to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And this is what John's responsibility is, is going to be. And what the angel is saying to, to Zacharias and to his wife that you're going to bear a child. You're going to call his name John and John is going to have a special purpose. John is going to be preaching the kingdom of heaven. He's going to be making a, a way for the Lord. He's preparing the people for the Lord to come. God begins to move in a mighty way here at this specific time. And what's interesting at this time, for some 400 or so years between the Old Testament and New Testament, God is silent. They're not hearing from God. They call it the, the silent years, or they call it the time where God isn't speaking. There's nothing, no written, there's no, no uh, scripture being, being written. There's nothing happening here, a great, no great moving of God. It almost seems like God 
has forgotten his people. But all of that is about to change. God has chosen a specific person, and God has chosen a specific time to reveal himself. After hundreds of years of silence, God is about ready to perform a miracle. After all these years of, of nothing, nothing happening, nothing, uh, 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 no, no, no Savior coming, the promise was given back in the Old Testament, and now it almost seems like nothing is, is transpiring and nothing is taking place. God is ready to move. You know, more and more we find people living in hopelessness. More and more we find people downhearted or people discouraged in this world. More and more we find ourselves talking at times about things winding down. Do you see the events of this world, the things that are happening around this world on an international stage, and even nationally in our own country, it can be discouraging. I, I look and I read often, I follow these events, these stories in the news about what's happening in North Korea, and the truth is it concerns me. It concerns me. My son this past week joined the National Guard and it concerns me that there's talk of war, nuclear war. One of the jobs they wanted to give him was, was, was uh, 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 had to do with nuclear weapons and had to do with, with weapons of mass destruction. I said, are you kidding me, son? Be a cook. <laughs> Be a cook. Do something fun, you know? Peel potatoes. I mean, that's real good. Let's go to the front lines. Those things concern me. If we're not careful, we can get discouraged and downhearted. We can get hope, feel like we're in a place of hopelessness. We see things like a national death that's on the news. We listen to those things being talked about in, in tax cuts. Who do you believe? And it just seems like you can't believe anyone. It seems like we're spiraling out of control. We hear of wars and rumors of wars and we put our trust at times in men and women and we realize this, that they're not worth us putting our trust in. We put our trust in humans that fail us. I believe this, that Israel must have seemed hopeless at this time before Luke chapter 1. They are living in a time where God is silent. They're living in a time where they're occupied by a Roman government. It seems hopeless. They remember, they can read of the passages of Scripture where God promised to send a Messiah, but the Messiah hasn't come. They're looking for this great king to deliver them from the Roman Empire, but that king hasn't come. They're looking for relief in a world of bondage and a world of occupation. And it seems like none of that is changing. For hundreds of years, God is silent. Things must have seemed hopeless. I'm sure the Israelites there, those that lived in Israel, they were wondering, God, we believe you. We've listened to you. We've read the Old Testament. Where are you? It seems like the world we live in is hopeless. It seems like the world that we live in is just spiraling out of control. And the wonderful thing about Luke chapter 1 is God begins to move. 
God sends Gabriel and he begins to move in the, in the life of, 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 a, of a, a young lady here, Elizabeth, or an older lady, Elizabeth, and a young lady uh, by the name of Mary. He begins to move. And when God moves, the impossible gets done. Well, listen to me. If you get nothing else today, know this. When God begins to move, the impossible gets done. We look at the events of this world, and we look at our life, and maybe there's some things that you're going through, maybe some discouragement, maybe there's some hard times, maybe there's some financial difficulties, maybe there's some sickness. I I think of Susanna Sears, who who, uh, was in the first service. She's going Tuesday for her fourth chemo uh, treatment. I think of Susan uh, Shrine that, that is going for radiation and, and others in her church that are dealing with sickness and dealing with cancer. And it seems, it seems, seems hopeless. But I want you to know this, when God moves, the impossible gets done. It seemed hopeless for Israel, but God uh, began to move. It seemed like the Messiah was never going to come, but God began to move. And in your life, when God moves, the impossible can happen. We serve a God of the impossible. Elizabeth was too old. She was too barren. But when God stepped in and God began to move, she is going to birth a young boy named John. When Mary, a virgin, it seems impossible. There's no way a woman that's never known a man could ever have a child. But when God moves, the impossible gets done. And Mary is going to conceive and have a baby named Jesus. This Christmas season, it's a reminder of A nothing is impossible, God. I want you to get that this morning. Church, I want you to get that and mark it in your heart. This Christmas season is not about uh, gifts. It's not about the materialism. It's not about the things that the world celebrates. The Christmas season is about, for the believer, it's about a nothing is impossible, God. It's about no matter what you're going through in your life, God is the God of the impossible. It it means no matter how big your trial is, God is a God of the impossible. Oh, I think of so many, even here in our church, where you think of what God has done in your life, and and there's no way that you can explain it. I think of the Ladinos next Sunday evening. We're going to be sending them off as they go into Chile. And and his testimony, he grew up in a a home that wasn't a Christian home. He was doing drugs at a a, a young age. He became addicted to drugs. If you had looked at a life like his life, you would say, Matthias, there's no hope for your life. You're living a life of despair. But once God gets involved. God does the impossible. And no longer is Matthias a man living in a drug rehab. No longer is Matthias a man that's, that's, that's in bondage to sin. He is now going married to a Christian young lady, has a child, and they're getting ready to go to the mission field to help, help others in their addiction, help others in their bondage, help others know what Christ has done for him. He can do the same for them. What he's going to do, he's going to tell the world that his God is a God of the impossible people that we mark off, people that we say they're never going to get saved. God is a God of the impossible. Oh, listen to me today. You're, you're whatever you're dealing with, God is bigger than that. God is the God of the impossible. I want you to write this down, please, if you would. I want you to write this down, number one. We find in this passage of Scripture, we find the credibility of Scripture. We find the credibility of Scripture. 
You see, back in the Genesis, back when man sinned, God promised a redeemer. All through scripture you would find, in Isaiah you would find that a virgin is going to conceive. You find also that there was going to be, they prophesied of John that would come and he'd be the forerunner of Christ. God promised that this would happen. He promised the details even down to where this child would be born. There's details that were prophesied. He said that a virgin was going to conceive and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. And so we find that all through Scripture, we find that the prophecies have been given, and we find now in this passage of Scripture, the virgin birth, the area here we find where God is the God of the impossible, what that shows us is this, that we can find credibility in his word. God promised to send a redeemer. If a virgin did not conceive, do you realize this? None of the scripture we could, we could build our lives upon. If there was one aspect or one point in scripture that was false, then we couldn't believe any of it to be true. Oh, what's a wonderful thing as a child of God to know that every single word, every single promise, every single thought, every single prophecy, every single thing that God has ever said, every principle he said to build your life upon, every single bit of it is true. The word of God, it's credible in our life. And so we find in Luke chapter 1, when he comes and he says, these things are going to happen, and these things are going to happen because I am the God of the impossible, we find the credibility of Scripture. And since the beginning of the fall of man, Satan has fought this ever since that promise was given. Satan has done everything that he can do to stop it from happening. Satan has done everything that he could do to fool and, and manipulate mankind. Satan has done everything he can do to try to stop what God is working in. And could you imagine here when Christ is born, Satan, as a matter of fact, we can even read in Scripture where he takes Jesus and begins to tempt Jesus, and he wants Jesus to sin. Satan thinks that he had the victory. Satan thinks he won when Jesus was there hanging on the cross. The Son of Man, the Son of God dies, and Satan thinks that he has a victory. But what Satan didn't realize was this. In three days, God was going to resurrect that body. That body was going to come out of the grave. Jesus Christ was not going to be dead any longer. He was going to be resurrected, and he sits on the right hand of the Father. What Satan tries to hinder, God, God is the God of the impossible. He has more power than Satan. God's promised this. This morning, if God can allow a barren woman to have a child, then God can meet your need. If God can cause a virgin to conceive, then God is the God of the impossible in your life as well. When I was pastoring in Georgia, there was a family that had come just about every service to the altar and they'd pray. It didn't matter what I preached on, they'd come to this altar and they'd pray and they'd cry. I met with them many a times, I prayed with them many a times. I'd come and I'd pray with them there at the altar. We prayed at their home, we prayed in my office and their prayer was this, God give us a child. They wanted a child so badly. The doctors would continue to say this, you cannot have a child. It's impossible. You cannot have a child. And every week they'd come to this altar, and every week in tears they'd beg God, God, give us a child. Give us a child. 
The doctors would say it's impossible. You can't have a child. They'd come and they'd say, God, give us a child. I'll never forget, they came to me and they said, we want to adopt a child. And they thought maybe God would just open the door for them to adopt a child. We ended up moving to Monclova here before all of this concluded. But after we moved here, not long after we moved here, I got a phone call from this family. And this family said this, we wanted to call and tell you that God did the impossible. I knew exactly what they were talking about. They began to say this, we, we are with child. We not no medication, and it was nothing the doctors did. It was nothing. The doctors, matter of fact, said it was impossible. It was never going to happen. But they said, we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we had faith. And finally, God answered that prayer. And what they were saying is this, what everyone else said was impossible. When God moved, the impossible became possible. That little child, that little baby boy was born. They've sent me pictures, and I've rejoiced with this family since that little baby's been born. And what a wonderful thing it is to know that even in a life of someone that's barren, God can open the womb, and God can give life a child, and God can, God can, can bless a, f- a family, and God, when others say it's impossible, God can make it possible. I've seen these things happen. You know stories as well. Susanna Sears, the first time that she got cancer, it was a couple summers ago. They were on vacation, and she was having some pain, and she went into the doctor, a hospital, the emergency room at where they were vacationing, and they did some x-rays and did some tests, and they said, you need to get home, and you need to see your doctor. There's a problem. And they called and made that appointment, and they said cancer was all throughout. And I remember my wife and I up at the University of Michigan Hospital there after many a treatment with Susanna Sears there at her bedside and, and the doctors gave her a report and the doctors the first time through said this, the cancer is gone. The first diagnosis was it's bad and it's, 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 there's a lot and it's all throughout your body and we don't think it's a very good diagnosis and, 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 and make sure that things are in order and make sure you got all these things set because it doesn't look good. And, and we stood there in her hospital room and she said, the doctor said, the cancer is gone. Why? Because God is a God of the impossible. He's a God of the impossible. I've counseled families where they say our marriage is over. It's impossible. I'll never forget the first family when I pastored, the first family that came to me and said, we can't do this. I'm leaving. She's leaving. I pleaded with them and I begged with them. I said, God can restore this. We'd have meetings and one week, this one would get up and walk out during the meeting. The next one, the other one would get up and walk out during the meeting. The third one, I got up and I walked out out of the meeting. Oh, it was so nice to get a Christmas card. Just this week. It was signed by both of them, husband and wife. What seemed impossible as I was sitting in my office there trying to help this family, what seemed impossible when they gave it to God, God is a God of the impossible. I've known the families. They've said this, 
I'll never forget, I think I've told you before, the time my, my dad put money into the offering plate. We had just moved to Pennsylvania and there was a tent meeting going on and the pastor said this that was in the area. Hey, why don't you come over? And, and there's a lot of pastors and churches that get involved in this tent meeting and, 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 and I'll introduce you to some of these pastors and let them know that you've come to the Philadelphia area to start a church. And, and, and we got there and we went to this tent meeting and, and I'll never forget, he, later on I find the story out. The, the offering comes and he has $20 in his pocket. That's it. That's it. He was going to plant a church. He didn't raise his support. He actually went there and just worked. And as he worked, he would start this church. And that's what he'd do. Every couple of years, he'd go, he'd get, just start to work and start to build a church. A church would get to about 150 people. He'd move on. They'd call a pastor. He'd move on again. And that's where we're at in that cycle. We get to Pennsylvania to start a church, and he's got no money. And he's at a church service and a tent meeting. And what do they always do? Ask for money. My dad said, I know the Lord told me to give that money. He says, but I know I could hear the, my, my, the, my wife say, why'd you give the last $20 we had? That offering plate went around. He put that $20 in that offering plate. As he put that $20 in the offering plate and that passed down the, the aisle, he knew that was the last $20 he had. We just moved there. He knew, he knew there was, a, there was things that his three kids needed. He knew there were things, food that our family needed. And he just said, I knew the Lord put that in my heart and I put it in the offering plate. Later on in that service, before that service was over, the pastor there that was running that tent meeting, he said, I want to introduce to you a man that's come to the area. He's come to the Philadelphia area. He's going to plant a church. And he brought him up and he said, I want you to introduce him to his family. My dad tells a story, he tells a story like this, I stood there in front of all these people and I thought to themselves, no, I'm a failure. I have nothing. I don't know if we have enough gas to get back to a place. I know I don't have money to feed my kids. He said, if I could have told them what I was really thinking in my heart at that time, none of them would have believed that I was called here to pastor. He said, I gave my last $20. He said, but I know the Lord told me to do it. He said, before you sit down, I want to do, be a blessing to your family. He said, ushers, if you'd come again, I want to take up an offering for this family. And because my, my dad believed that God is a God of the impossible, believed that I could put $20 in the offering plate and that'd be it, not know where none of it's going to come. When he got into the car and he opened that, that envelope, there was about $1,000 in that envelope. God turns a $20 offering into a $1,000 gift. Why? Because God is a God of the impossible. I remember as a kid going to the food, the, cab, the, 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 the cupboards in the kitchen and, and taking out the last, the last packet of instant oatmeal. And it wasn't even flavored, it was regular. My older brother and sister took the flavored one. I remember taking that last thing out of the, 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 the cupboard and looking in and seeing nothing else. I remember leaving for school that morning and saying to myself, how are we going to eat? There's nothing in the house. I didn't go to school that morning with a lunch. There was nothing to bring. I remember coming home that afternoon. I remember someone knocking on the door. 
We went to the door, and I remember a church full of people bringing in bags of groceries into our house. My dad didn't call anybody. My mom didn't call anybody. I'm simply saying this God is a God of the impossible. How did they know there was a need because God's a God of the impossible? How did they know there was a young boy that went to the cupboard and said, I don't know what we're going to eat tonight. This is the last pack of oatmeal going to school thinking life is just terrible and there's nothing to eat in the home. And then going home and seeing groups of people coming in with bags of food. How do you explain that? You explain it one way. God is the God of the impossible. I don't tell you those stories to get you to feel bad. I get you to tell you those stories to tell you that God is a God of the impossible. I've seen him work. I've seen him supply. I've seen him move. I've seen him heal. I've seen him put together things that humans have wrecked and think that can't be put back together. And God says, I can heal every sickness. God says, I can heal every marriage. I can heal every broken friendship. I can provide financially for you when you think there's nothing left. I can give you a child when you pray. And I can still build a strong church when the world says it's impossible. When you say it's difficult and being a Christian is hard and the world will persecute you. God says, I can still build a church. Why? Because God is a God of the impossible. You can still raise godly children because God is a God of the impossible. You see, I find here in this passage of Scripture that God is a God of the impossible. And we can believe that the Scripture is sure. Secondly, I want you to write this down. We find in this passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 1, we find Christ's redemptive work. This is important. This is why it's so vital for us to see that a virgin conceived. Look with me in Isaiah, if you're able to get to Isaiah chapter 7. If not, allow me to read that to you. Isaiah 7, 14, this is the Old Testament. This is written hundreds of years before Luke chapter 1. In Isaiah chapter number 7, verse number 14, the Bible says this, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Here we find in, all the way back in Isaiah, all the way back in the Old Testament, God says, I'm going to give you a sign. I'm going to allow a virgin to conceive. And that virgin's going to conceive, and that child's going to be called Emmanuel. Then we find in Luke chapter 1 that that angel comes. That angel finds a virgin. Look with me in verse number 27. He comes to a virgin, a spouse to man, whose name was Joseph, the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored amongst, uh, amongst women. Blessed are are thou among women? And when she saw him, she was troubled. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, this virgin Mary shall conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. You know what I find here? We find Christ's redemptive work in this passage. What God set out to do in the Old Testament, God is going to fulfill here in the New Testament. 
God leaves heaven's home. He sends his son. He knows this. The only way for mankind to be redeemed is for he himself to be their savior. There's only one pure lamb. There's only one precious blood. There's only one blood that could be shed that could cleanse all mankind's sin. And that blood was the blood of Jesus Christ. And he had to come to this earth. He had to die on the cross. He had to shed his blood because you and I needed a savior. There was nothing I could do and there was nothing you could do to merit our way to heaven. I can't merit, I can't work, I can't do enough good to merit my way to heaven. I can't do enough good to keep my salvation. It is all based upon the grace of God. God, when we were lost in trespasses and sin, he sent Jesus Christ, that redemptive work that was done upon the cross. It's because he came, he promised to send a savior and Jesus Christ came. In Luke chapter number one, we find this redemptive work is fulfilled because this virgin conceived. How could mankind who is lost in sin spend eternity with God? Because God is a God of the impossible. God is a God of the impossible. There's no problem that you and I have There's no problem that society doesn't have that the gospel cannot fix. There's no situation you have today that God of the impossible can't meet. Listen to me, while the world celebrates Christmas, we celebrate it differently. While they get stressed out and annoyed and upset and in debt. We as Christians, we should celebrate it differently. It means more to us. It means more to us than trees. It means more to us than reindeer. It means more to us than lights. It means to us that the plan that God set forth in the Old Testament to redeem us back to Him is fulfilled because He sent His Son, a virgin conceived. Jesus was born. Salvation can be had. I want you to write this down in closing, number three. We find in this passage the reason for our Christian faith. Without a credible Bible, we don't have Christian faith. Without a a redeeming Savior, we don't have Christian faith. Without Luke chapter 1, the promise, the fulfillment, we don't have a reason to meet. We're here today because God's word is true. We're here today because there is a redeemer and his name is Jesus. We're here today because every principle in the word of God is true, because it's faithful, because we can build our lives upon it. We're here today because we are preaching and teaching and glorifying and singing about a redeeming Savior. We gather here today and we sing because of what Jesus Christ has done. That builds our Christian faith. Listen, I I hold my Bible. I raise my kids. I bring them to church because I believe what we're teaching is true. 
I raise him up on the principles of this word of God and I raise him up to love the Lord and fear the Lord and serve the Lord because I believe it's true. I've seen what it's done to so many. I've seen what it's done for me. And I rejoice today that we have the true word of God. We have a redeeming Savior. And we have a Christian faith that we can build our lives upon.